Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This subject, wealth and income inequality, are the biggest moral crisis. I'd also say it's a spiritual crisis in America today, all around the world. This gap between the rich and everybody else is reaching critical proportions. And I think one of the biggest crises is the young people. Today's young unemployed become tomorrow's unemployable. They lose valuable jobs and training skills. So I'm going to show, since a picture's worth a thousand words, I'll just show you some pictures about how rapidly this inequality, as well as opportunity inequality, is growing. So what's happening in America today, savers are losers. You know, most parents say to the kids, go to school and save money and work hard. But in 1970, when I graduated from school, a million dollars at 15% interest earned me 150000 a year. Now, you could live on $150,000 a year back then. But in 2016, due to this thing called quantitative easing, I call it the Greenspan put, it's uh, $1 million at negative five basis points. It's going to cost you a $1 million to save a $1 million. That is how deteriorated our financial systems have become. And this is one of the causes between the gap between the rich and the poor. The other thing is that fewer and fewer families are receiving middle-class incomes. It's going down. Every time we shop at Walmart, we ship dollars and jobs over to China and Pakistan and all the other countries. That's capitalism. The other thing that's happening, when people's incomes go down, they become dependent. Now, the U.S. government tells us that poverty has been beaten in America. Well, maybe poverty has been beaten, but what has increased is the entitlement mentality. The attitude that the government and other people should take care of them. As I said, it's a moral crisis as well as a spiritual crisis. I learned in Sunday school, give and you shall receive. And too many people today think they should receive. This is the other crisis here, social security. Being Japanese, the Japanese call it, ah, social security. I'm a racist, I know. <laughs> but anyway, I, I've met so many people my age, there's about 75 million baby boomers on the top of the baby boom chain. We expect the government to take care of us. That's a lot of highly educated people. That is a crisis. So in uh, 2002, I published this book, Rich Dad's Prophecy. 14 years later, the prediction was that 2016, there would be a global financial crash. We're in 2016. And here we are in 2016. You can see it coming. In the first 10 years of this century, we have had three major crashes. 
in 2000 was the dot-com crash, followed by the 2006 real estate subprime crash, and then 2008, the banking crash. The question is, is this next? This is a giant crash of 1929. Every time I listen to those guys on CNBC, I call it bubble revision, they keep talking about the giant crash of 1929. I tell you what, it doesn't even compare to this one coming, you know? So that's why I write and I speak, and I'm very concerned about our futures, our well-being, and the state of the economy. So I'm going to be talking today about why the rich are getting richer, commercial message, my next book coming out, but I'll explain, <laughs> I'll explain some of the tricks of the trade, why guys like me get richer and everybody else is not. And um, this is quite interesting. This is one of the reasons the rich are getting richer. This is the Bush tax cuts. The biggest tax cuts goes to the top, top one-tenth of a percent. Thank you, George. I appreciate that. You know? <laughs> they have no morals, those guys, man, I tell you. But anyway, I'm the author of the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Let me see a show of hands. How many have read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Oh, good, somebody have. Who has not yet read the book here? Oh, good, there's some customers out there. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> you know, as I say to the press, I'm a best-selling author. I'm not a best-writing author. But anyway, <laughs> so the folks I've read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the truth told with my two dads. And the story begins when I was nine years old, growing up in a little town, a little sugar plantation town called Hilo, Hawaii. And I raised my hand in the fourth grade, and I went to a very rich, basically all-white school. And I said, uh, Mrs. Gerald, when will I learn about money? And she says, money? Don't you know the love of money, the root of all evil? I said, not to me, but I'll tell you what I mean. <laughs> and she said, you're here to get a job. I said, no, I don't want a job. I just want to get rich. So she says, go ask your dad. So that's where Rich Dad, Poor Dad started. And my poor dad was the head of education for Hawaii, very smart man, PhD, went to Stanford, University of Chicago, Northwestern. And I went home and I asked dad, I said, hey, dad, when are we going to learn about money? And he says, never. I said, why not? Because the government doesn't allow us to teach you that. I said, that's kind of interesting. So he said, um, if you want to get rich, go talk to your best friend's father. And he is an entrepreneur, and someday he'll be a very rich man. So that's how the story of Rich Dad, Poor Dad starts. When I was nine years old, I crossed, I went to my rich dad's office, being an entrepreneur, and he started teaching his son and me about why the rich get richer. And that's when my financial education began. So I wrote this book. It came out in 1997. So far, it's sold about 40 million, 41 million copies in 50 languages throughout the world. So... I'll give a little bit of my background. <laughs> I don't do it for the applause. It's send the cash. But anyway. <laughs> anyway, this is Hilo, Hawaii to New York City. I didn't do well in school. I was a straight C-minus student. But <laughs> I did. And having the old man as the head of education wasn't easy, you know. So anyway, um, uh, I got two congressional nominations, one to U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland, one to U.S. Merchant Marine Academy at Kings Point, New York. So I took New York because we're the highest paid graduates in the world. And uh, this is me at Kings Point here. And our starting salaries for most of us was about $100,000 a year back in 1965. So that was pretty good back then. Not much today, but it's pretty good back then. And then when I graduated, I got a job 
the third officer on standard oil tankers sailing the world. And it was a great job, except for one thing. The Vietnam War was still on, and my moral conscience kind of got to me, and I said, maybe I should go fight a war. So I joined the Marine Corps, and I took a cut in pay from about 6000 a month down to 200 a month as a Marine lieutenant. And it was a great decision. I went to flight school in Florida, Pensacola, and I was right up the street here at Camp Pendleton and straight to Vietnam. And it was really a great experience. Loved the Marine Corps, loved the guys I worked with. And it's a band of brothers, very spiritual organization. And when I came back, that's when my business career started. So my first business, the surfer wallet business and all this. And everybody thinks, yeah, when, when you, you start getting successful, life's easy. Well, no, success is expensive. You know, I started selling these silly wallets, and all of a sudden they took off. And I spent more time raising capital to buy more inventory so I could sell more. But it was a great learning experience. I learned to make a lot of money selling wallets. <laughs> but anyway, my life changed when I met this man here, Dr. R. Buckminster Fuller. This here is what Fuller is noted for. He's considered a futurist and a, a friendly genius. This is a geodesic dome with it at the Montreal World's Fair in 1967. So in 1967, I hitchhiked from New York City all the way to Montreal to go see the dome, and it was a mind-blowing experience. I never thought I'd ever meet the great genius. You know, John Denver calls him uh, the planet's friendly genius. So anyway, but in 1981, I had a chance to study with him up in Kirkwood, California, near Lake Tahoe for five days, and I made the mistake of sitting down next to him. Well, he sat down next to me, really. And it was, a business, it was called the Future of Business Seminar. And he sits down next to me and says, Robert, what is your life's purpose? What is your mission in life? I said, oh, to get rich. <laughs> Wrong answer. <laughs> he chewed me out. He said, ah, it's a waste of a good mind. You know, it says, why don't you do something to change the world? I said, change the world. I just want to get rich, you know. And finally, I got it. As he says, you know, I'm not here to work for me. I'm here to work for everybody else. And it was a, very, a pretty cathartic event once I realized how greedy I was. Then um, I studied with him for three years. And every time he kept asking the same question that he asked himself, what can I do? I'm just a little guy. What can I do? I'm just a little guy. He was tiny, too. So I ask all of you, what can you do? We're just little people in many ways. So I studied with him for three times, 81, 82, and 83. And then in, he passed away on July 1st, 1983. And he left this book behind. It's called The Grunch of Giants. It stands for Gross Universal Cash Rights, G-R-U-N-C-H. It's how the ultra-rich rip us off. Now, Fuller is a friendly genius. He never wrote finance books or e economic books. He's, he's uh, math, science, art, design. He's an architect. I read Grunch of Giants and I understood it because it was exactly what my rich dad was telling me. The rich are ripping us off. So at that point, I said, huh, what can I do? I'm just a little guy. And I decided that time I would take on Grunch. And for those of you who wonder who Grunch is, you may just notice that those crashes we just had, you know, we got bailed out. The rich got bailed out. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, Bernanke and the president Paulson stand up there and they say, this was a mistake. We had to save the economy. That's a lie. I hesitate, to t I hesitate to tell you that. It's a lie. They bailed out the rich. It is part of their business, business plan. It goes on all the time. 
So ladies and gentlemen, I said in 1983, I got to do something about this. And what can a little guy do is take on the biggest banks, the Federal Reserve Bank, which is not a bank, not federal, no reserves, <laughs> not American, get the hint. <laughs> and I could take on Wall Street, I could take on government, but I could also take on the school system. See, ladies and gentlemen, those crashes, these bailouts are not accidents. And neither is it an accident with no financial education in school. What my research found since 1983 is premeditated. Just as prior to the Civil War, it was illegal to educate a slave, we're not allowed to learn about money in school. And when I found that out, I said, okay, it's time for me to get on with my life and start teaching. So I, started, I, came, be, I came much like my rich dad and my poor dad. I started teaching. And it was not too far from here. My wife and I were homeless in San Diego, you know, doing our best to teach because we can't go inside the school system and nobody wants to listen. So anyway, that's how it started. And so I'm going to tell you what financial education really is. I'll start by telling you what it's not. Financial education isn't saving money and investing for the long term in the stock market and getting out of debt. Exactly the opposite of that. So my financial education began with a game of Monopoly. You know, we all know the formula, four greenhouses, one red hotel. So when I was nine years old until I was about 20, Rich Dad and I and son would play Monopoly. And that's how I learned to become a rich man. So the reason it works is this is the cone of learning. It was created by a man named Professor Edgar Dale. And in 1969, he came up with the cone of learning, and he said this is how human beings are designed to learn. Notice the, the worst way to learn is by reading. And the second worst way is lecture, listening to boring teachers. That's why I was never at school. Anyway, I was there, but anyway. And then what you guys are doing here is you're looking at pictures, watching a movie. That's why TED Talks works. But also, the second best way is called simulation. Simulation is where you get to make your mistakes. You get to make your mistakes after mistakes you just make mistakes. See, human beings learn by making mistakes. Except in school, you make mistakes, you're considered stupid. In business, you make a mistake, you're fired. And you make a mistake in business, you're a failure. So a person's got to find a place to make mistakes. In, in scientists like Edison, it was a laboratory. So the reason I learned a lot was I made mistakes playing Monopoly. That's how, I, that's how I learned so much. And today I play Monopoly in real life. My wife and I have over 10,000 units, several hotels, golf courses, and oil wells. But that's the game. You know, once you learn it in your brain by playing games, simulations are the way you learn. So you practice, 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 practice. You make mistake after mistake after mistake. Like a golfer makes a mistake after mistake after mistake, then they turn pro. But the reason a lot of people are not rich, they think mistakes make you stupid. It's criminal. A baby cannot learn to walk unless they fall down. Can't learn to ride a bicycle until you fall off the bicycle. So that's where our school system's letting us down. So I love the military because they taught, they taught us to make mistake after mistake after mistake. Every day we flew, we practiced emergency procedures, and every day I killed my engine to fly my aircraft without an engine. And this here is me doing the real thing. I went down three times in Vietnam. And if not for practicing crashing, I wouldn't be here today. All five of my crew came home alive. So what I did was, after Bucky kind of chewed me out, he says, what can I do? I'm just a little guy. My wife and I created this board game called Cash Flow. But this is the key to the cash flow game here. This is called a financial statement. Is add a financial statement to Monopoly, you have cash flow. This is financial literacy, how you understand numbers. So the beauty of the cash flow game is today we have thousands and thousands of cash flow clubs all over the world 
people teaching people without having to go to school and getting into student loan debt. Now, you have to go to school to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, but you don't have to go to school to be rich. So all over the world today, I asked, I did what Dr. Fuller asked, I started empowering people to learn. So all over the world today, every day in different languages, people are teaching people. The same lessons my rich dad taught me. And this here's a financial statement, income, expense, asset, liability. The beauty of this here is this. This is your report card when you leave school. Your banker, my banker has never asked me my grade point average of what school I went to. My bank wants to see my financial statement. And the reason most people can't go loans is they don't have a financial statement. They don't even know what it is when they leave school, even college graduates. The reason I can borrow hundreds of millions of dollars, I have a strong financial statement. It's financial literacy. And this here is very simply it's income, expense, asset, liabilities. Poor dad always said go to school and get a high paying job. The problem with education, they teach you to be employees. Rich dad taught me to be an entrepreneur, acquiring assets. Four greenhouses, one red hotel. Assets are very simple. You can plant an, plant an apple seed and an apple seed grows into a tree, you harvest the apples, you sell the apples, you rein, reinvest your profits and you keep building an orchard. That's how you get rich. Or a friend of mine, when he was in high school, his grandma gave him some chickens. Those chickens laid eggs. He sold the eggs and reinvested it. And when he was 45, I think he sold his business. He was selling 10 million eggs a day to Costco and Walmart. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to build assets. It's just buy a couple of chickens, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny, you know, really. <laughs> so the power of words, financial literacy begins with words because words affect your brain. As my poor dad always said, I can't afford it. You know, in Sunday school I learned the word becomes flesh. Every time you say you can't afford it, you say, I'm poor, I'm a loser, I can't do something, I'm helpless. The government should take care of me. Disgusting. Rich Dad taught me, how can I afford it? So when I had no money, my wife and I just kept saying, well, how can I afford it? And pretty soon your mind opens up and that's when intelligence comes in. Most important words in money are basic. There's only four, assets, liabilities, cash flow. That's it. That's where financial literacy starts. Income, I mean assets, liabilities, and cash flow. If you understand those four words, basically, then you, then you can build your vocabulary. Money has a language, but it's not taught in school. It's taught job security versus being an entrepreneur. You know, look for job security go, instead of go for financial freedom. It's somebody should take care of you instead of I'm going to take care of other people. As an entrepreneur, I have thousands of employees. You know, that's, what I'm, that's my job, to create other jobs, give them a, a safe, safe life. So number one is assets. Number two is liabilities, cash flow. These are liabilities. The reason the poor and middle class grow poor is because they think their house is an asset. If you read Rich Dad Poor Dad, I said several things. Savers are losers, and your house is not an asset. This came out in 1997 and 2007. The subprime market crashed, and tens of millions of people throughout the world found out their house was a liability. Look, if you use the wrong word to describe the wrong issue, you will always be stupid and broke. So don't call a liability an asset. And that's why so many people are broke. They're using the wrong words. The words become flesh. Financial literacy. Change your words, change your life. Never say I can't afford it. Ask yourself, how can I afford it? Work to acquire assets. 
not liabilities. That, ladies and gentlemen, we have thousands of cash flow clubs around the world. People are teaching people. You don't have to go to school to learn to be rich. So the thing is, is Becky Fuller challenged me. What can I do? I'm just a little guy. I stopped making wallets and I started making sense. Created, my wife and I created this cash flow board game. It's played throughout the world today. Every day, tens of thousands of people are teaching themselves. That's how you change the world. But we change your words, you change your life. So the best news is, words are free. It doesn't take millions of dollars to change the world. Just change your words. Thank you very much.